0: Welcome back to another Untitled Movie Review. I am one of your hosts, Matt Rohrbeck, alongside, he's allergic to tomatoes, but he's tomato meter approved, Eric Marchin.
1: Matt, I uh, ventured out of my bunker early this morning and almost fell into a pit of sand gobblers.
0: How are you? You made it out? I, I did. did right? I
1: did. Uh, luckily, there was a guy Underway named to Clyde get there who, who, who helped me out. <laughs>
0: Uh, he said his name uh, is
1: Michael Rooker, but I, I call him yeah, Clyde.
0: Yeah, yeah. Michael Rooker helped you on your way to get an iced coffee this morning in your sand gobbler cage. Yes, today we are reviewing Love and Monsters, a Netflix original film here in Canada, but has been released since like October, November. September, I believe. September of, of last year in the United States, uh, distributed by Paramount um, over there. But they sold the international oh, rights. can you uh, hear that? That's boy. Uh, there you go. Oh God, I loved Boy. Um, yeah, Love and Monsters, uh, starring Dylan O'Brien um, as in, in the main role, Michael Rooker as as Eric mentioned, and more. Um, Eric, how you doing?
1: I'm doing good, man. I it's it's interesting having watched this movie and having kind of been curious about it since um, Paramount released it in the U.S. and you know not it didn't even come to premium VOD and then. You know, late last year, Netflix announcing that it was going to handle the international distribution of the film and it also being nominated for visual effects
0: uh, at the Oscars this year. Which That's where it was put on my radar because when they got that nomination, I was like, the hell is this movie? And then I went and watched the trailer and I'm like, even the trailer, I'm like, okay, I I don't know what to think of this, but it looks kind of interesting. And then I remember talking to you and you were like, people actually seem to dig it, but we just haven't heard much about it.
1: Yeah. And and, and I think a a common sort of a, a consensus is that a lot of people sort of are comparing it to Zombieland. And I actually think it's 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 better than Zombieland for I think a, so as well. a couple yeah. of reasons that we'll talk about when we review the film. But yeah, it's it's one of those movies that I really do wish you know, I had seen last year and especially because we didn't get a lot of blockbuster releases on VOD. You know, we had to deal with wonder woman, 1984 or, um, you know even the old guard or, or more recently with Godzilla versus Kong and after having seen both this and Godzilla versus Kong I think this is the better monster movie especially the way that it handles human characters but it finds a nice balance between you know the human plot line and bringing in these kind of amazing cool creature CGI creatures yeah. that are also a great kind of hybrid of both practical effects and computer animation like it's not just you know you know cgi or green or blue screen it's actually designed sort of you know in camera effects that the actors can react to and 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 give a performance off of and i think that that's another reason why this movie works so well is because it knows when to show certain aspects of creatures and when not to and the designs themselves i mean like we've gotten to a point where you know we're we're past you know, Godzilla and King Kong and the Xenomorph and Alien, which are some of the best creature designs in in film. Never, yeah. And as much as I like something like Super 8, and we'll talk about even J.J. Abrams a little bit with this as well, because there's there's a, a similar familiar um, sort of vibe that comes off that's Spielbergian that J.J. Yeah, Abrams totally has kind that, of been yeah. chasing. But the creature designs in this are familiar in that what they're referencing in ter- terms of the mutations, but also they're very much their own designs and 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 original sort of creature feature creations. They're all
0: based on an actual insect or amphibian or reptile, or th- that's what was mutated in this world. But they all have a really interesting design. Where they're they distinct take, and unique. Like one is a giant toad, but then the way that they kind of play around with that and have the mutations is really interesting, right? Or they, they talk about giant cockroaches or different things like that. But they're not just... A giant version of that animal or insect. They all have their own kind of really, really unique design, and I, I completely echo your thoughts on like from the moment you see the first monster in in a scene, you're like, "Oh, this is really cool," and that's why it yeah, has that Spielbergian feel. Is like it has that kind of you know what going back to you know even movies before, but you know my favorite movie of all time, Jurassic Park, of just like mixing really interesting CGI that you know this movie was made on a modest budget um but then also using really interesting practical effects so i know i'm repeating you but i wanted to kind of jump in there and say i totally agree with
1: yeah, you yeah and and again what i'm going to the jj abrams thing is it, with super 8 as much as i like super 8 for the nostalgia and you know the kids working together and sort of you know it becoming a monster movie the monster itself in super 8 Is lacking. Like, you don't really remember it other than, like, there's a bit that's an homage to ET, where these creatures, you know, they might have limited screen time, but they're used purposefully in not only the plot, but in terms of just. You know they're not overdesigned. You know they could have overdone each one with the mutations, but they do just enough to make them threatening and interesting, and again part of this sort of strange new world that we're in that has been sort of created because it's man-made. You know the idea that uh, Agatha Six One Six, this comet that. Um, is it's about to, going hit to hit Earth, Earth yeah. you know, is stopped by uh, a rocket and nuclear means that comes back to sort of pollute the planet and and Where all the
0: radiation comes down and it all only of our, affects our insects and, and yeah. the first
1: I, I kept thinking of myself as a joke. It's like the first person that these creatures would get revenge on would be someone like Bear Grills or something like that, <laughs> <laughs> you know? Yeah. Um, but yeah, and then and then at the center of it, you have this emotional story. Um, that again, like it's, it's, it's a very classic one of, you know, uh, Dylan O'Brien who plays Joel, um, he grew up, he's 17 when, when the story begins, but we kind of get a flashback to, to, to him sort of, you know, with his parents, the day that all of this kind of went down, uh, in Fairfield, California, which was kind of ground zero for all of this and sort of, you know. As the story progresses and his journey goes on, we learn of his loss and also why he's making that journey, which is the girl that he fell in love with or was starting to fall in love with seven years before, you know, we're in the present situation. Um, they separated and are a part of different colonies. And we find out that uh, Dylan O'Brien's Joel has reconnected via uh, radio transmissions and is able to communicate with her and decides one day that I'm going to leave my colony who are the closest thing to family and, you know, go to her and, and be with her. And it's going to be a seven day journey. And I have no experience whatsoever. Yeah, he's since the then. worst
0: one in his colony of like, he's kind of the timid kind of, Nerdy, um, isn't good at hunting or knows anything about survival, and and I think that's, you know. The crux of his character is, is based on can he make this seven day journey to go see Amy with one eye and two e's um, across you know this this epic journey and um, I, I, I dug that and I like Dylan O'Brien in this quite a bit. Yeah, I mean we were talking about this yesterday and I think you brought up a really good point is that Dylan O'Brien is basically playing Adam Brody as Joel. Yeah, he has big Adam Brody energy in his, in his whole performance of and we talked about like the Adam Brody Renaissance lately with the small roles and promising young woman and his lead role in in kid detective or even ready guys, or not uh, ready or not like yes that's a perfect example as well three movies you guys should absolutely check out if you haven't and adam brody is great in those but yeah i kind of liked his portrayal uh, of joel which is joel a reference to the last of us i don't know any post-apocalyptic story i will bring in the last of us at any point <laughs> so i will bring that up um but yeah man i i actually was really really pleasantly surprised with this because i, I know talking with you Uh, We heard good things, but I hadn't heard many people talk about it. So when that Oscar nom came out for Best Special Effects, I was like, the hell is this movie? I thought... At first it was like, sometimes it's, a, I thought it was going to be a foreign film that like, you, you know, we'll hear about every once in a while where you're like, oh, there was this really big budget movie that came That'll out of Russia a re- or, or China or something, or not even a, yeah, we'll eventually get a, a, a remake, but there's an English language title to it. So, you know, it's palatable for someone to click on, on, on Netflix or something like that. Um so when I watched the trailer I was like oh okay so it's it's a it looks like a you know a low budget monster movie and I'm like that could go one of two ways and um it really caught me off guard cuz um I actually thought this this was quite wonderful and and it's a lot of the things that you talked about from the uh creature design to the music to um the heartfelt kind of I felt I said this but like Ted Lasso energy that this gave me of like Something that not necessarily that he's a Ted Lasso character or anyone in there is just like, you know, so positive it, it it should be obnoxious, but it somehow works. But that's kind of how I felt about the movie with its heart and its core and its just overall energy. I just felt like it had such a positive energy, even in this kind of really kind of depressing situation where 95% of the world's population was killed by giant you know lizards yeah, and insects and stuff and like tods. that. Yeah, and and uh, yes, that that feels very much like a line out of Zombie Land too, right? But I do feel like it's more well written here, and the homages um kind of feel more genuine. And like I, I did really feel like a movie from I don't want to say like a bygone era because you know the '90s isn't that far it is i guess uh, but it doesn't feel like that Matt, far. we're old or 80, get over it 80s and 90s spielberg movies and it really takes that energy like you're saying that abrams has tried to do time and time again but it just doesn't feel like it's just imitating him it feels like it's taking the spirit of those movies and then making something fresh and unique and i just like those kind of cross you know uh man on a mission kind of movies and then i love post apocalyptic movies you know that i talk about this all the time like that's just very much a genre and a style that i that i vibe with and i thought the music choices in the movie were great um I loved just his relationship with boy, the dog, which you brought up And like, so partway through um, Joel's journey, he meets this dog named boy who is living on his own in this abandoned bus shelter. Um, And he kind of saves Joel from a a monster at one point. And um, you learn that this dog lost uh, his, his owner or his partner, like who was this uh, young woman that we kind of learn about through, you know, um, uh, storytelling, clothes, in, in, yeah, clothing, um, yeah. atmospheric storytelling and stuff like that, or uh, environmental storytelling. We learn about her, and then this dog. I just like, I, I mean, you talk about this a lot too of like a good dog in a movie. There's like nothing better, like a well acted dog, and like just a man and his dog. Yeah and it is and I thought they did a great job with this and like yes it's a little bit much of like how smart this dog is and 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 things like that and it, it but I just kind of like that in a sci-fi movie like this where you needed someone where he could it, he was going on this journey alone and I just like how they always Brought in different characters, whether it is Boy the dog or Michael Rooker's character, where he is uh, Clyde, and and who is the young girl's name? Um, uh,
1: Aria uh, Greenblatt, who was yeah. uh, the young version of Gamora in Infinity War.
0: Right, right. So she plays the the young girl who is with Michael Rooker's character in this, and it's that kind of stuff where they're only with him for a small part of the movie, but is teaching him along his way and they're giving I just him the, the
1: basics. Th- right.
0: Yeah, and I just thought that like that. That stuff was um, was really really lovely, and I just felt like yeah, at every turn, it it did remind me of Pokemon or Monster Hunter, a much better version of uh, a movie that we you know recently watched. Where this had such more interesting creature design and monster design than something like a movie called Monster Hunter. And like, it was more fun. Like Like, like that was the other thing. And this is more fun. And this feels like more like a video game movie than, uh, and I know I bring that up a lot, but you can tell that it has those influences of like, what is my mission? Here's some side missions. You meet some characters along the way. Like it reminded me of Pokemon. It reminded me of Last of Us Fallout with the Fallout shelters and having to come out and there's mutated creatures a lot in the Fallout video game has that as well. I brought up Joel. Um, and I I do agree that the story um, is something that we've, you know, it, it's not necessarily completely original. We've, we've brought up Spielberg. We've brought up, you know, a, a number of monster movies or man on a mission movies or post-apocalyptic movies. And, and there are things in the plot that, you know, are very, not overly written because I know you have to do that in movies, but, you know, they'll point out a certain you know, objects that, you know, is probably going to come back later and, and tie everything to kind of together and if you've watched enough movies you might see that stuff coming so like the story could be a little bit predictable or a certain villain character and things like that that's kind of thrown in in the last in the last little bit which I like the character and I like poking fun at all of that but like it just feels kind of thrown in to have an antagonist in this whole th- kind of thing so like it's not with it without its own like kind of issues in the overall kind of thing so like yeah they bring up a flower or, or some berries or something like that um, and and those all kind of come back. And then another moment before Eric, I'll, I'll throw it back to you. I really like the moment with Mavis, the um, artificial intelligence robot. Um, and I just like it, it just felt like a very sweet scene of of this guy who you know lost both of his parents um always wanted to see one of these robots but you know he was living in a middle class family and and these were probably for you know upper class people because it was Mavis w- spelled with a one so it was the first iteration of this kind of uh, artificial intelligence robot and he meets this version of it and i just thought there's a very sweet scene there that i didn't uh i don't want to spoil but how he handles uh, the aftermath of meeting that character um i thought just was such a great character moment of who this guy is and like um in just something that is completely unnecessary what he did and this is an artificial robot that doesn't necessarily like most people would just be like oh it's a robot it's not thinking for itself like yeah it it plays. it's an music empathetic listener whatever. though Matt it is and then how he deals with the aftermath of that I thought was really really sweet and just that's kind of the Ted Lasso thing that I'm talking about of like Dylan O'Brien's Joel character is just and like his relationship with his his colony that he leaves and stuff like that and how that's all kind of developed the movie just has a really strong heart to it and i think like even the most cynical people it's one of those things that you um it might not be the most original movie in the world and things like that but i think that energy of that pure heart of this guy who just you know has gone through a lot and really cares about this person but also cares about you know just people and things in general and and that whole thing of like looking it's kind of corny but like as humans and have these monsters killing off ninety five percent of us, we always thought of them as the enemy. And the movie plays with some interesting things there of like a lot of these things are just animals, and not every animal is out to kill you either, right? Even if they're and twenty like, yes, feet tall, yeah, even if they're twenty feet tall and fucking crazy looking and and scary looking, like um, I think that's really. Uh, I thought that was really sweet and and that goes back to that kind of analogy of of Ted Lasso energy and and I feel like that stuff is like so pure that at first it might seem grating and you're like okay like this is either corny or a little too schmaltzy or like okay you see the good in everything kind of thing but i think it ultimately much like ted lasso wins you over and i feel like his character does and and the beats and the emotional core wins you over and then it all goes back to those yeah creature designs as a fan of pokemon and and things like that it was always fun to see what was around that next corner, right? What is the next creature he was going to bump into? And each one was interesting. Like you said, Eric, where it was like, they weren't overly designed like a centipede or a toad or, or the sandworms. I forgot the, what are they called? Sand Um, gobblers, sand gobblers and like things like that. And, uh, and yeah, I can totally see the comparisons with uh, Zombieland with some of the names we're referencing or even Michael Rooker's character kind of being the Woody Harrelson uh, character and things like that. And, uh, you know, uh, uh, um, and and this young girl and and t- all teaming up together and him being the timid Jesse Eisenberg character. Like I see all of those comparisons, but um, I don't know, man. I just really, really was taken aback with the movie and really, really loved it. So I'll, I'll shut up now.
1: But no, no, no. I, I I, I, love what you were saying like and i agree with a lot of it i think my biggest problem with the film is the third act and i'll get there but what i want to go back to first is talking about um the script and specifically uh brian duffield who gets the story credit and co-wrote it with Uh, Matthew Robinson. And Matthew Robinson actually also wrote Monster Trucks, which is a terrible Paramount release from a few years ago, which this could have been. Um, But I think Brian Duffield, who's had a bit of a tough time with his um, produced uh, material as of late, whether it be his directorial debut, Spontaneous, or uh, even Jane Got a Gun, which was going to be a Lynn Ramsey movie, and then how that kind of all fell apart multiple times and then was restructured. You know, and now this being released the way it is um you know understands both genre but also how to deconstruct it in interesting ways now we keep talking about zombie land i think another thing that's really important to to talk about here uh in comparison is how Rules are written in this book that he is sort of cataloging. Yeah. Um, are done in a way that makes sense and isn't just obnoxiously posted on the screen in yeah. you know, text or or Jesse Eisenberg and bo- voiceover.
0: He's he's he, creating a Pokedex.
1: Yeah, <laughs> he's learning as he goes along. I mean, it's it's very much almost weirdly Darwinian in some ways as well, where like you know he's cataloging the new world for people. Because We should say he's
0: an artist. Like, yeah, he's, the drawings he's, he's are really. He, cool.
1: But he's also writing down sort of you know interesting facts or ways to protect yourself against uh, deadly insects and amphibians. So I think that the way that the rules are integrated into this movie and how they're sort of almost secondhand news or, or you know, given to him, or as he kind of, again, makes the mistakes and sort of learns from them and, and is able to survive them, is done in a way that doesn't feel like it's overly – intellectual or, or overly done in a way that's kind of like oh look how smart we are or, how clever we are we can we can have you know our our mouthpiece character like jesse eisenberg in zombie land sort of be like you know this is rule 135 or 134 or back and, then and it forth goes, Bing,
0: on the screen yeah, and it, it doesn't do something. any of that yeah. you
1: know it's all in this book and it's not done in a way that's like oh we have to stop and wait for him to do all this it's kind of you know as he learns and moves along and and in its trial and error. And I think that that's what really makes this work. Another thing that I think is kind of amazing about this movie is that it's not just, you know, happy-go-lucky as, as – I mean, I know what you were describing, it's a very positive yeah. movie, but it has a melancholy quality to that's it. That's fair. That Great it point. is thinking about, okay – A lot of these movies from the eighties and nineties are about a quest, whether they be romantic or adventurous or what have you. But you never think about, you know, the, the romantic interest other than being a romantic lead. And what this does in a very positive and interesting way is it kind of looks at this character, Joel and Amy's relationship and says, okay, you know, they had something together seven years as, you know, the event as teenagers, but things happen over the course of those seven years of separation and people change.
0: Especially in these events. <laughs> yeah. yeah.
1: And you can't just pine for a memory of something. You have to understand that, you know, people change, the world changes you're not the same person you were 7 years ago especially when you're an adolescent when the world is much more melodramatic and you know all or nothing and this is what it really kind of looks at with also just you know Jessica Henwick's Amy being a human being and having her own you totally. know thoughts and needs and protecting her colony and when we get to that third act i think the problem i have with the third act isn't to do with that it's more to do with kind of as you mentioned you know bringing what, in an villain? antagonist yeah. and yeah. kind of feeling
0: like we're we're rushing to get another act we didn't set need. Piece. We didn't need that. No. You could have done that set piece in a different way. I think because I do ultimately like that set piece. I just don't love the setup of it with that villain. work kind of yeah. Talking and about. most of
1: these kind of movies have that in films. Like we think of like Tim Robbins even in the remake of uh, War of the Worlds with Tim Robbins. Yeah. You know, kind of messing up. Good uh, Tom
0: Cruise line in this movie. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, um, well, and, I thought that was and, and great. That's a perfect- and Qu-
1: a uh, little thing, but but I want to also mention that the the cinematographer on this, uh, Lachlan uh, Milne, is the same cinematographer who shot Minari, and they could not be oh, different looking amazing. in terms of their
0: their style. Uh, yeah, this movie still looks nice though. Oh, and it's very slick. Went- one point I wanted to bring up, not to keep going on the Ted Lasso um, comparisons, but I totally agree with what you're saying, and I feel like Ted Lasso also does that, which makes those sweet or positive moments or that positivity even better. Is it because it does have those melancholy moments even in in Ted Lasso's life, which I think you explained really well in this movie that things don't always pan out how you want them to be, and you, as long as you kind of have a good outlook on life or 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 things, you can kind of get through. Through those things and especially in shitty situations and i i think that's a great point to bring up eric but in like and that's why i think just this movie reminded me of something like that that caught me off guard that maybe should have been like okay but then um it, it ended up being a lot more than that and going back to yeah some of its issues in the last act and and just in its, its predictability or, or, you know, uh, originality and things like that, which I do think it's it's quite original. But like, um, we already talked about at length of how it's paying homage to a lot of different things, but also is very much those things. And yeah, that villain stuff. And I, I like the giant crab fight at the end. I like the crab um, I, design I, and the crab yeah. itself. I think the way that again, it's all
1: in the eyes, but the, the way eyes, that it yeah. moves and and sort of where the direction of that sort of sequence goes. Again, talking about the Ted Lasso thing, and it's actually trying to find not only heart, but humanity even for these giant creatures in in certain situations. And I think that that's really important. And another important reference that it is very direct with in, in, in calling the, the dog boy is the Harlan Ellison uh, written script that LQ Jones directed in the 70s that has Don Johnson in the titular boy role as a, a boy and his dog.
0: In this case, yeah. it's a boy and his human. <laughs> Yeah, I loved it, dude. The dog is so wonderful and there and it's those moments that just you see Joel's compassion, right? And his and how much he cares not only for, you know, Amy or his his colony members or and he always felt like he couldn't do enough to do them. He was just cooking the uh, the Italian the soup or whatever, a minestrone and like, and things like that. And and that's what he was good at or cleaning up around the, and also just uh, not uh, being like everybody shelter
1: shelter else having like, somebody else, like a, a partner. Somebody. Yeah. Everyone was a
0: partner. Yeah. And like, so his relationship, w- whether it was with boy or um, you know, he's showing his compassion to Mavis, the the AI robot or these monsters in general. Or Clyde and Minnow, like, even with, uh, with yeah, um, Clyde and Minnow. yeah, exactly. And even how that plays out, like even those two characters could have easily been like kind of you know, butting heads with him, but they were also so welcoming of going like, yeah, we'll help you. There was never a thing of being like, you don't know enough. We're not going to help you kind of thing. Like you're going to get yourself killed. It was like, no, you are going to get yourself killed. Let us help you. So you don't get yourself killed. And then even them trying to convince him to come with them because they're like, homeboy, like it's been seven years, bro. Like maybe you should just come with us to the mountains. (laughs) And like, um, I just really liked that, and I I love Michael Rooker too. So whenever he pops up in a small role, as always, which his role in Love and Monsters is
1: actually very similar to his role in Blumhouse's Fantasy Island, except one movie is much better than the other, um, which is very very funny. But uh, but yeah, again, like I I really like that. You know, you have a character who, you know, on paper and in these kind of movies has kind of one dimension, and that is to get from point A to point B, and you know, once they're very much, these movies are the journey and not the destination. Um, And the journey is a lot of fun. And I think the destination in this case is where the film slows down the most. And once we get to that final sequence, but I think the journey there is important, but also sort of giving the character real development and sort of making him flawed, but also, you know, someone you can root for to grow on these seven days um you know outside in the wilderness and and getting back into
0: trust your instincts man yeah
1: exactly and 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 i think that that is is all really well done and there's there's a couple humor beats here and there that i think are just a little maybe too forced where they talk about like you know why he's been kicked out of his colony and things like that but but i thought that was funny i I, I, I liked it but but it just feels the most written
0: Yes, I agree. Like those are very much punchlines, and like, or, or and it's the rule of three in comedy, right? So it comes back three different times, and like, I I will I'll admit it got me every time. Like it just started getting like I agree with you that it is the most written like bit in the whole movie probably but it worked for me and and i i totally understand where you're coming from where it's like all right everyone's gonna say that to him but like um i just thought that in that world it's funny being like that being the, the main reason you get kicked out of your colony and i just felt like it was funny going back to it as many times as they did but yeah. I, I totally and we coming.
1: should also quickly mention that the director is uh michael matthews who i haven't Really, seen anything else of his at all to really know? Yes, I should have mentioned that off the top. Um, Thanks, yeah. But but he but it, this is a really well done, you know, dystopian action adventure on a budget, For forty
0: million dollars. Yeah, and it
1: whatever. looks like a yeah. million dollars, like a hundred million dollars. Like it, it looks as good as any sort of you know movie that has three you know digits in it in terms of spending thirty million dollars. Yeah, they spent and on. and it looks just as good as any of the other ones. Like this, this is as good as any Amblin uh movie which is i can totally see why it got a special effects
0: nomination yeah 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 because i would say that yeah it looks just as good as and i'm sure super eight was made on a relatively modest budget but uh, it's like made for 100 million or like yeah yeah, relatively. i'm gonna look yeah it Um, was probably
1: it it probably was cheaper than like a spielberg movie but like
0: (laughs) abrams probably 50 million so this was 20 million dollars cheaper than yeah than super eight but still within that realm but and it, i think um, it's doing a lot more than super Eight. like i still like
1: super eight a lot but i think it's doing more with super I, I think love and monsters is doing more than what super eight did in terms of deconstructing the genre a little bit it doesn't go as far as like say something like cabin in the woods where it really kind of breaks down satirizes it satirizes yeah. and breaks down the genre but also kind of lovingly does it where yes this
0: it's sincere but still kind of poking fun at yeah it. where this, this isn't clever, necessarily poking
1: fun and 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 makes those references and knows that, you know, people that have watched enough of these films will get those references, whether it be from video games, books, or other movies. But it still does it in a way that's loving and true to the format of of the dystopian action adventure movie. and And I think another thing that we should quickly mention as well, that you brought up when we were talking, you know, off of the recording is that this is a good movie, a transitional film for yeah. kids. I think that like if you have, you know, uh, I say like a 10 year old, eight year old that a little bit re- younger, eight to 12
0: year old. Yeah. Feel that's like is wanting to get age. into
1: monster movies or genre stuff, specifically horror or, or stuff that has, uh, you know, the tinge of the creature feature. This is a good
0: one to start with. Cause I don't think it pulls any punches, but it very much is a family film. Like it's I don't want st- to like put it in that box. But it's not patronizing, though, either. Yes. And I that's, I think, the perfect word and the perfect description. Because like I don't want to put it in that box, because when you say family film, you might think of something like a Monster Trucks or something like that, where you know that type of kind of thing. And even we were talking off air about a different movie that we'll review upcoming that kind of has that vibe to it as well. But there's a lot more to it than that. But then is also, like you said, Eric, and like we were talking about, a great... Great entry point for you know some you don't want to show your kid alien yet or you don't want to show them like you know maybe a different creature feature that's r-rated but you still want to show them something that you know scares them and it very much like jurassic park when we were kids yeah and um where jurassic park is you know it it was made for you know both that kids and adults and i think that's what pixar does so well that's what many of these movies the best Family movies or kids movies are the ones that, you know, me and you can enjoy as 32 and 33 year olds, not having kids and not watching with kids. But knowing where all the homages come from and, you know, just the the tone and the tone and the the, the the emotional core, right? Where a kid might get some of that stuff, but then to them, it's really much about the scares or the creatures or the excitement of those action set pieces and introducing them to something that, you know, still has emotional weight and still is scary at times, but is very much. Palatable where it's not like gruesome or terrifying or 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 anything along those lines. Yeah, so, yeah. I remember I think Neil
1: Gaiman pr- talking about that when Coraline was coming out, and and yeah. he kind of said that like you sometimes need to have movies for kids that are not dangerous, but adventurous, and that there are real stakes and consequences so they can understand that you know these that this is how the world works not obviously you know giant monsters walking around but the idea that you know there is a protagonist or a character who has to go on a journey and you know that character can be susceptible to the environment that they're in and that you know there there are life and death consequences that can be introduced to you know kids at an age that they can understand but isn't you know completely traumatizing to them and i think that that is important to do. And I think a movie like this will be that perfect kind of film for a generation of kids. I mean, you mentioned Jurassic park, which is another perfect one where it's like, again, and also Spielberg and, you know, Amblin and things like that, where like has enough, intensity it might be a little too like i found the jurassic park there are some moments where like that are just burned into my brain and having watched it totally as a kid yeah yeah. but then again i watched the fly way too young but but with love and monsters there's enough there that is like you know horror centric or scary but it's not too indulgent or over the top in its visuals it 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 it, it, it hides enough but it, it tells you enough it informs you enough of what's going on, and kids will get it, but they won't be necessarily scarred for life because of it.
0: Yeah, there will be some scenes where, if they're young enough, they will be, you know. Yeah, scared, there's a scene involving I, a
1: giant ant that I was like, if yeah, I was yeah. like eight or nine and I saw this, I would be totally. Would, freaked I'd be out. terrified
0: of ants. I would yeah. be terrified of ants. Um, and I just uh, quickly to wrap things up, like um, uh, another thing of you know Dylan O'Brien's Joel character being able to you know tackle these monsters. I just love that line of it's about in trust your instincts and I think that's another great message of the movie. Unless like, it's the movie with Anthony was,
1: Hopkins and Cuba Gooding Jr. Instinct sure. is not a movie to trust. <laughs>
0: um but just how he was able to survive was just trusting his instincts of going, you know. What I'm I'm not Overthinking things. It's just how am I going to survive? And then trusting that. And be and willing I think to listen to others. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. You know, and, 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 and learn from those mistakes. Because that's another
1: great thing about this movie, is that it's it's like you don't really know what you have until it's gone. I mean, obviously it's a Joni Mitchell quote as well. Um, but but like it's just like you don't like the things that he had, you know, you see them differently from the beginning, and then you see them in a new light by the end of the movie and i think that that's another thing that this movie does really really well in sort of again it's 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 thematically rich but it also is doing it in a way that again, for kids and adults, they'll both enjoy. And you mentioned as well, and I felt the same way while watching it, where I was never distracted or felt like I went into my mind thinking, okay, when is this going to end? Like, it's a very watchable and enjoyable movie to partake in for only about an hour 40, so.
0: Yeah, this will be a movie where it's criminally underwatched because of how they marketed it. Um, I'm hoping This Netflix international release, because I think it's Netflix everywhere except for the U.S., correct? And I think that should bring a lot more eyes onto this, which will then get people in the U.S. to hopefully watch it. And I'm hoping Paramount maybe throws it on Paramount Plus uh, fairly quickly, because I feel like they should... Definitely capitalize on this Netflix release, and I know they want the VOD sales, but it's already been out since, like you said, September or something like well, that. Well, it also has a physical
1: where, media release both on Blu-ray and 4K in the US, and I believe our friend Mike Muntz actually
0: has imported it, a yeah. copy. He did, he, so he's watched it a while ago. Yeah, yeah. And,
1: and I might have ordered one on eBay.
0: Yeah, I, uh, I'm i even thinking of maybe picking it up. I don't buy many physical um, uh, releases, but you don't get very many Netflix films on physical, and I don't think this is coming to Criterion, unfortunately. No, but it is a um, very
1: enjoyable
0: movie that is, is
1: a kind of a nice surprise.
0: So I, I, you know what? I went back and forth, Eric. I think I'm going back to my original rating, and I mean, I'm do gonna what you give this. Do. I'm gonna get. I really, really loved this. I'm gonna give it a four and a half out of five.
1: I'm gonna give it a three and a half out of five. Where like I really enjoyed the movie. I just think that the last act, the destination yeah. of the film, it kind of slows it down. But again, it's so enjoyable and so like it's it's a nice kind of reminder of a blockbuster being able to work at home but also it kind of gives you hope that like you know down the line w- that we'll get some stuff like this when we do eventually return to theaters
0: yeah so it's so it was- scream this from the rooftops i want everyone to watch well, you, this, you might so not want to scream like though because you might attract yeah. the queen sand gobbler <laughs> Love it Uh, Thank you all for listening Uh, We really really do appreciate it If you liked this we have another show Called the Untitled Movie Podcast That we would love for you guys to go check out It is our long form Free flowing kind of conversational Podcast where Eric and I kind of just Shoot the shit about what's going on In the entertainment industry and things like that On our last episode we talked about South by Southwest Our experience at that festival as well as Black Widow moving to a Disney Plus Premiere Access hybrid model uh my experience in vr um among other things um also we have a ton of other reviews that you guys can check out right now so we have uh reviews for the unholy uh the aforementioned godzilla versus kong if you want some more monster content uh mighty ducks game changers episodes one through three uh bad trip another netflix uh film uh nobody invincible episodes one through three falcon and the winter soldier the snyder cut so lots of stuff over on that channel
1: and if you're listening to this now nobody will be available on premium vod uh uh, april 16th
0: so yeah yeah so in the next few days uh we'll make sure to post about that on social too because uh no one in canada probably had an opportunity to really see that movie No. so um which is unfortunate um thank you you can follow us on all those social medias at untitled underscore cast please drop us a review on your podcast service of choice if you would be so kind it really helps us out and as always my name is matt roerbeck you can find more of my work around the internet but mostly at untitledmoviepodcast.com and you can follow me on all of those social medias at matt Rohrbeck. i'm usually bumming around Letterboxed and twitter
1: And I'm Eric Marchand. You can uh, find more of my reviews, uh, video reviews on rogerstv.com slash CinemaScene and on the social medias at EM6211.
0: Until next time.
1: You got kicked out of your colony for stealing food?